Welcome back to Full Disclosure by Pop Sugar. I'm Francesca Ramsey, and in today's episode, we have a very special guest who is going to school us all on how to speak more openly and honestly about a very important topic, the female orgasm. So you have those big orgasms the way it's like, really, this is great. I'm shaking. I need a moment to myself. Or then you have some orgasms like, oh, that was a nice little, <laughs> you know, tickle, you know? So <laughs> they're not all the time earth shattering and groundbreaking, but small orgasms matter just as much as big orgasms. So all orgasms matter, right? It's all about pleasure. Yes. We are an equal opportunity provider and receiver. Yes. You've heard of the pay gap between men and women's salaries, and you've probably heard of the second shift, aka the idea that women in hetero relationships end up taking on more household duties than their male partners, but those aren't the only equality gaps women are battling. There's even one between the sheets. That's right, there's an orgasm gap, and it's not a good thing. To dive into this issue, we are talking to Dr. Wendasha Jenkins-Hall, She's an educator, speaker, and expert in all things sex, from myths about quote-unquote real orgasms to the reason why this disparity exists in the bedroom at all. Dr. Hall will make sure that we are all orgasm experts by the end of this episode. Now, we are going to get real intimate with adult themes that might not be suitable for children, so be forewarned, let's dive in. So glad to have you, Dr. Wendasha Jenkins Hall. Thank you so much for being here. No, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to jump into this conversation. I'm so curious to hear, how did you become a sexpert? <laughs> well, actually, um, it's a funny story because I got into the sexuality field when I was 16. Mm. So I know a lot of people are like, what? She's a teenager. So yes, I started out as a peer educator. Oh, And so, yes, so I started out doing HIV AIDS education and from there it, it grew. So I had the opportunity to work with Planned Parenthood, also training peer um, educators. I've worked in international health, doing some reproductive health. And I, it's just always been a part of my life. It was always something um, that I've done and I decided, well, why not go to school and become a researcher, right? Right. <laughs> and um, so, yes, my focus when I was doing my research was actually on um, hookup culture. Oh, wow. So yes. <laughs> so diving deep into hookup culture, especially. Um, and when among- you say researching it, do you mm-hmm. mean like understanding kind of like the rules or kind of the trends in hookup culture? Because that seems like it's an all-encompassing area. Yes, yes. So um, when I was researching, I first had to understand how different people were defining hookups because my population um, was really with Black college women. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that when I started to look a little bit more to hookup culture, that population was absent from the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so really trying to understand how they define um, hooking up and what are the rules around hooking up and intentions for engaging in hookups. Mm-hmm. So it was very interesting. I learned a lot of new relationship types. It's like oh. a hierarchy when it comes to hookups and relationships. <laughs> and so people, funny. Yes, different reasons for wanting to hook up and also discussing safe sex practices while hooking up. So it was, it was really 
eye-opening. I will say that it was eye-opening. That's so funny that you say you were learning new relationship titles. I also have had a similar experience. I'm like newly single. I got divorced last year. And so I was not in the dating pool because I was in a relationship for 13 years. Mm -hmm. And for the very first time in my life, I heard situationship. Yes. I had never heard that before. (laughs) I was like talking to this guy. I was interested in him. And then he was like, just want to let you know, I'm in a situationship. And I was like, is this a typo? Like, what is this? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> it is very real. And that actually came up in my focus groups, the situationship. So it was different levels. They were saying, when well, you're starting out when you're you're in a talking stage. Which that doesn't make yeah. any sense either because everyone, technically you and I are talking to each other. Are we in a, we're in a thing? What is- Yeah. So you have the talking and there are certain rules around talking where you're just hanging out, getting to oh know each other. Oh my gosh, this is nuts. Yes. And you're not necessarily at a point where you're sexual. And you're not exclusive. Yeah, and you're not exclusive. So you can talk to a lot of different people. You can be talking to different people. However, when it morphs into that situationship- um, <laughs> Sex has become involved nine times out of 10. However, mm-hmm. you're not sure if you want to put a title on what you have going on. You don't Ooh. know if they're going to be a girlfriend or boyfriend or partner. It's or just boo. so backwards because technically yeah. <laughs> you can't put a title on it. The title is situationship. Yes, it's a situation. So it kind of keeps you boxed in a little bit though. Oh. So um, because if you do go out and engage in another situationship with a person, a different person that can lead to some jealousy, mm-hmm. some mis- communication because the boundaries of that relationship is very squishy. Well, it's not a relationship, it's a situationship. So right. it's, it's very squishy. So Yes, it's like yeah. ill-defined. And I yes. think that brings me to like another follow-up question. When you have clients that come to you, mm-hmm. what's the thing that they're normally asking for support or help navigating? To be honest, a lot of my clients, when they come to me, they have questions about being sexually satisfied in the bedroom. Mm. So that is a key question. A lot of times some have never engaged in self-love or masturbation before. So they're trying to figure that out or navigate that. Are they in a sexual relationship and they are not getting um, what they want or desire out of Mm -hmm. that relationship? And some, actually, I have quite a few clients who are of the Christian faith Mm -hmm. and trying to navigate sex and pleasure within that. Oh my goodness. Like, so yeah, it's feeling feeling pressure to like do it the right way or like feeling some sort of shame around. Yes. A lot of, a lot of shame. Oh man. So a lot of shame around, of course, sex in general. Mm -hmm. Hey, I grew up in the South. I grew up in the church of Southern Baptist kid. So I do understand as you get taught you don't have sex until marriage. That's right. something you don't do. However, right. I- <laughs> and then that sets you up. That sets you up in this respect of like, how do you what What am I doing now? I've yes. never done this before. Yes. Um. So you get that's... into that relation. So you get married, and it's like, okay, what am I supposed to do? And how do you even figure out like if you have sexual chemistry? With that yes. Yes. Because you know, there's so often where you're like, wow, I really like this person 
person, we're hitting it off in all of these ways, but then like sexually we're not compatible or vice versa, where it's like, I don't want to talk to you at all, but we could do it. (laughs) I don't like you as a person. (laughs) And so it's so funny because that's the easy part when I get a person who's in a committed relationship or they're married and they're looking to um, experience that sexual pleasure in a relationship. But I get Mm -hmm. a lot of times where people are waiting to marriage, but they're in their 30s. Right. Mm. So it's like, am I going to not have sex for the rest of my life? Or if they do go have sex and they're dealing with that guilt. So it's yeah, it's a lot. It runs the whole gamut. (laughs) I know. And now we're in a pandemic. So like, (laughs) are you really willing to be taking your chances out here? Like, I'm just going to be lonely, I think. I had never heard this phrase, the orgasm gap before. Yes. Can you actually explain what that is? So the orgasm gap in just simple terms is just what we call also a pleasure gap. So when we're looking at it, we're seeing that straight women... So those who are, you know, straight, they want to have sex or be in a relationship with a um, cisgender man, they have mm-hmm. less orgasms mm-hmm. than straight cisgender men. Right. And so that's that's the gap. And straight women also have less orgasms than bisexual women and lesbian women. Yeah, so, I'm really yeah. glad that you qualified that because I do realize that often when we're talking about reproductive health, especially mm-hmm. just by nature of like we're talking about reproduction, mm-hmm. conversations are very like heteronormative. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to hear that there's actual data on women who are in same-sex relationships mm-hmm. not experiencing that orgasm gap. What do you think is contributing to like the difference here? Well, there are a lot of different factors that contribute to it. One that is top of the mind is for a lot of women, we are raised and taught to be pursued. So we're not raised or socialized to really say what we want and demand what we want from our partners. Mm. And then when we do, we're a hoe. Yes. You're looked at (laughs) as being a hoe. You're looked at as being a slut. You get a side eye. So what we tend to do when we get in the bedroom, we don't speak up. Mm. And we think that it was a pleasurable experience if our partner orgasmed or if our partner enjoyed their self instead of saying, hey, I didn't get what I wanted to. And also if you haven't, to your point, if you haven't had it, Mm -hmm. how do you know what you're missing if you haven't experienced it in the first place? Yes. So that's why I say masturbation comes in is good. So so I think it's very good to explore your body because you can't expect your partner to bring any type of sexual pleasure if you don't know how you like to be touched, if Mm -hmm. you don't know how you like to be stroked and things like that. And you can discover your body through masturbation. So you know what type of pressure you like, you know what types of motions you like, and you could just start to look at your own body and know where your parts are. Mm -hmm. So we know that on female bodies with vaginas, you have the clitoris there and the clitoris, its sole purpose is sexual pleasure. So if you want to achieve those orgasms, you need to focus on the clitoris. You need to see how that feels for you, what type of stroking, touching pressure that you like. And so when you discover that, you can talk to your partner and let them know, say, hey, 
I like to be touched this way or I like Mm -hmm. to be touched that way and just being more vocal in the bedroom. Yes. I would say, think about it as if you're giving physical directions to somebody, like how can you tell someone how to get to a location? If you've ever been there yourself, you got to get in the car, you got to drive around, you got to make some wrong left turns, be like, oh, I'm in a cul-de-sac now. I got to go this (laughs) way. You have to get lost. (laughs) Get lost and discover. I've been driving for 30 minutes and I'm still not there. (laughs) What? You know what? Let me go back. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So that then you can tell somebody else how to get there and you guys can, can make that journey together. So what else do we know about the female orgasm? I mean, you have done all this research. Mm -hmm. Are there different types? I mean, I would assume everybody is different, but is there a way to categorize them? So yeah, um, of course you have different types of orgasms. So the main one we really talk about is of course the clitoral orgasm, because that's what that little, it's not actually little, is that the clitoris is actually bigger than we think it is. Yeah. But yeah, it's very big. So we have that. Some people can actually experience vaginal orgasms. So they mm-hmm. can experience orgasms by penetration alone. Then you have some people who can experience like A-type orgasms, U-type orgasms. So it just means oh, hitting like different right types. <laughs> I did not. I didn't know this. Yeah, I never I'm thought about it as I'm an uh, O negative. <laughs> I didn't know. Oh my goodness! I've never thought about it as a <laughs> sorry a blood type, but. Yeah, I guess you can't think of it that way. So, but those basically refer to different spots in the vagina that you can hit. So, of course, you've probably heard of the G spot, right? Right. So, you can get an orgasm that way for those who have successfully found their G spot, which is Mm -hmm. supposed to be, was to take two fingers and insert it into the vagina if a person was laying back and you Mm kind of put your fingers up in like a come here motion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's pretty much the location of where the G-spot is. But mm-hmm. we still are really thinking about the G-spot and saying that it actually may be a part of the clitoris. So oh. the internal structures of the clitoris is really probably what is making G-spot stimulation actually pleasurable. But of course, the research and the science is still out there on that. So oh. like I said, you have the A-spot, which is located beneath the cervix, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you have some that call the O spot, which is can be found on the back wall of the vagina. So it's a lot of different- no idea. Yeah, so we, like there's like, w- this science is literally evolving, but there are other spots that you can touch in your body that people mm-hmm. have experienced orgasms. So nipples, some people can, you know, have orgasms simply by the stroking and licking and sucking of nipples. Some people have told me they've orgasmed while getting their feet done or getting a pedicure. Oh my so, God. I could imagine so, that would yes. be, could be awkward. Yes. So I want to know that before you get a petty. <laughs> yes. Or even some people have orgasmic sensations when massaging their scalps. So it's basically wherever your erogenous zones are. Mm -hmm. Some people are hypersensitive and they can orgasm. But typically when we're talking about like the female orgasm, we're talking about those clitoral orgasms are the G spot and things like that. So, okay. So we have one 
signature segment, and that is our game of two truths and a lie. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Number one, in college, my nickname was Prudy because I never wanted to talk about sex with my friends. Okay. Number two, up until very recently, I thought the Mile High Club referred to a brand of airline miles and not having sex on an airplane. Okay. And number three, my first dating profile was suspended because someone reported it for impersonating Francesca Ramsey. Oh, goodness. (laughs) (laughs) I would go with... I would go with number two that you just recently found out with the Mao uh, That was the lie. That was the lie. I don't know how I always, I knew what the Mile High Club was. I I, I go- double checked to make sure. Um, but yes, I my my one and only my first time ever having a dating profile. It was suspended, and I was like, "What do I do? Do I like take a photo of myself with a newspaper to prove like it's really me?" <laughs> They're like, this is Francesca. Um, And yes, my nickname in college was Prudy. And in many ways, I feel like this podcast has been like the death of Prudy. (laughs) (laughs) When I told my friends I was doing this, they were like, Prudy's doing what? And I was like, I'm not Prudy anymore. Um, Okay. (laughs) But some of the things that we talked about here, I think, uh, have been illuminating for me just in looking at my own journey of feeling embarrassed about my lack of experience or feeling like I didn't have space to ask questions. And that was really what made me prudy. Not mm-hmm. that I thought sex was bad. It was just that like I didn't feel like I could contribute to certain conversations. And so it was easier for me to just say nothing than admit uh, that I had questions and I there are things that I didn't know or hadn't experienced. So if you're listening and you've ever felt like you were prudy, you can grow. <laughs> Someday you can host a podcast about masturbating. Yes. You can do it. Okay. So I think this, I'll go. If you you will? Okay, yeah. great. Okay. okay. okay Safe space. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I like this because it gets very funny. So, yes. yes. My number one is... Mm-hmm. I have never had an online dating profile. So I've never dated online. Mm, Okay. Number two, uh, one time when I was getting busy in the bedroom, I had a serious case of flatulence. Okay. Yes. (laughs) And it may or may not slipped out. And number three. Mm Mm-hmm. I once taught a pastor how to put on a condom properly. Ooh, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess the online dating profile is the lie. Oh goodness, you're right. You know what? Safe space. The reason I knew the fart one was was real is because I've totally farted during sex. I feel like 
it's just like the body's making noises. And I'm like, you know, if anyone listening, if somebody judges you because you fart in the bedroom, kick them out immediately. <laughs> it, you, to the best of us. it happens to the best of us. I would say take it as a, maybe we need like a term. There's like something, you know, you're clearly doing something right. If my hey. body's just like, well, I'm done. Yeah, I'm releasing <laughs> everything. Okay. <laughs> I'm not even going to think about holding this in. I'm just going to let it go Elsa Frozen style and be done with it. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. And also, I'm really glad that that pastor felt like he could talk to you and get your help. Yes. Uh, Because the alternative is to not be practicing safe sex and we do not want that. Yes. So, okay. So I'm sure there are people that are listening who are realizing or have known that they have not felt an orgasm, what is it that they should be looking for in order to know like, oh, that was one, like I actually had one? Oh, goodness. It's so hard to describe an orgasm. It's so funny because they feel so different for different people. So the sensation, I will say, if you're having an orgasm, I'm not saying that you won't see fireworks and it won't (laughs) rock the room or rock the bed and everything Mm -hmm. will fall off the walls or anything like that. Like you see in the movie. That's also an earthquake. Yes, that could be an earthquake. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But it's a sense of euphoria a sense Mm -hmm. of release because when you're having sex, you're on what we call a sexual response cycle. So you're going up, 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 and then you plateau a little bit and then you hit that orgasm and then it's that Mm -hmm. release, right? So you have that release. It's this feeling of euphoria. Some people say sometimes they feel a little dizzy. Some people say it's like a full body prickly sensation. I'm not going to say it feels like electric shocks because that can be scary to some people. Right. But like a prickly <laughs> sensation. Some people cry. It's just different from, for different people. So mm-hmm. some people say they feel like tickly all over, but you will know once yeah. you've had an orgasm. So if, you're having, if you're having doubts, chances are you haven't had it, but that's yes. also a reason why you should explore so you can figure <laughs> out. So then you can experience it for yourself and then you'll know when it's happening with your partner. Yes. And it's important to know that even if you have experienced an orgasm before, orgasms don't feel the same all the time. Mm-hmm. So you have those big orgasms the way it's like really this is great I'm shaking I need a moment to myself or then you have some orgasms like oh that was a nice little (laughs) you know tickle you know so (laughs) they're not all the time earth shattering and groundbreaking but small orgasms matter just as much as big orgasms so all orgasms matter right it's all about pleasure yes we are an equal opportunity provider and receiver Yes. I think this should be the goal here. So, you know, now that I understand what this orgasm gap, how it exists or that it does exist, how do we go about changing it? I mean, how do we give women the permission to Mm -hmm. explore themselves so that they can make sure that they feel fulfilled in the bedroom, whether it be about themselves or or with Mm -hmm. their partner? I I don't like to get on the soapbox, but I will say sex (laughs) education is key. Comprehensive sex education is key because the orgasm gap starts before we even get in the bedroom, before we start having sex when we're young. Mm. So we're not taught anatomy. Right. So if you were to put a group of teenagers in the room, not saying all teenagers, because you have some teenagers that are getting some good, you know, sex education. Right. But 
they probably wouldn't be able to label the parts of a vagina, right? They probably wouldn't even be able to correctly label the parts of a penis. So if we teach that anatomy and teach what the different parts are for, we can start there because mm-hmm. what happens is we grow up and we watch a lot of movies and things like that. And we tune oh, in to social none media. None of that is giving you the right yeah. info. <laughs> and it's not giving you the right info. And then you start to get the message that women or femmes or those with vaginas are just hard to please. Mm-hmm. So you get that message. And then it's like a lot of shaming around it. I mean, it's so interesting. Twitter is truly a blessing and a curse in my life, which (laughs) um, I feel like I say that all the time. But I've seen so many conversations about sex happen on Twitter where, oh, dudes are just telling on themselves. When WAP came out, there were so many dudes that are like, Cardi shouldn't be promoting this because a lot of women don't get wet. And I'm like, you might not want to say that. Because that means you're not doing something correctly. And then like way to then shame women into believing something is wrong with their bodies. Or if they're not feeling aroused and they're not enjoying the experience, they're just supposed to believe that that's the way it's always supposed to be. Yes. And it's very much a you know, to keep repeating myself, you don't know what you're missing. And then if someone is telling you, oh no, this is the only way that it is, uh, your body is weird. It's actually not about your pleasure. It's only about my pleasure. Mm -hmm. Then to your point, it starts before you even get in the bedroom that you haven't even had sex with that person. And they're already telling you, this is the way that it goes. And then you internalize that. Yes. And so we have a lot of things, like you said, that we internalize before we even step into the bedroom. So we're taught that women are hard to please. Mm -hmm. And so then we're also taught that we should be the pleasers. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then when we get in the bedroom and it's not feeling good to us, we're afraid to speak up. Right. And a lot of times we associate sex with pain. So it's good if it's well, painful. and then to your point about media, like pornography is yes. often so rooted in like f- women being demoralized and and being in pain and uncomfortable. Yes, and so you have a lot of people with vaginas who are having sex before they're ready, and what I mean by that is having sex before they're fully aroused. So they may think, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to let them kiss on me for a couple of minutes. And when they're ready to go, we can go. No, you have to let yourself get in the mood. Give yourself time to become fully aroused. Mm -hmm. Give yourself time to become wet, right? Right. And even speaking of WAP and being wet, everybody's not a flowing lake or an ocean or a river, right? That's true. (laughs) There are different levels of wetness. And it doesn't even matter if you are the person who's a water faucet. There's also products out there to help. Right. That's why there's lube. helps. Yes. Lube helps and it makes everything better. It helps make everything slicker so that sex is more comfortable. So when you're Mm -hmm. comfortable during sex, right, and you're relaxed, that is how you get to the point of having orgasms. So when you're relaxed and you're comfortable and you're comfortable being able to speak up in that moment, then yes, that's when you can really set yourself on the path of experiencing orgasm or experiencing pleasure. Because I will like to say that sometimes sex doesn't always end in orgasm. That doesn't necessarily mean that the sex wasn't good or that it was crap. If it was still pleasurable, it was still a good experience. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I I feel very fortunate that I've felt 
like I could speak up for myself with my partners, Mm -hmm. but I know that that's not always the case for everyone, especially to your point that women have really been conditioned to not advocate for ourselves, not just in Mm -hmm. sexual situations, but something that's been really helpful for me when I am finding times where I'm worried or nervous about having a conversation with someone is to just practice before I'm even face-to-face with that person. Mm -hmm. And I would assume that that might be something that more of us could get better about before we get into the bedroom. Like thinking about how to say, I'm not ready to go further. Can you give me, I'm sure there's a sexier way to say that, like let's take more time or or something, but just getting yourself familiar with saying those words so that when you are in the heat of passion, it feels like a natural thing for you to say rather than like, oh my God, oh my God, how do I say this right now? Yes, that is really key. So really being able to, in your heads, knowing that if this situation happens, this is what I can say. It's kind of like, you know, when you're preparing yourself for the argument you haven't had yet. Yes. Trying to get yourself (laughs) all those those snappy or quirky comebacks that you can have for that person. It's kind of the same way, right? Yeah, that is... That's so funny. Yeah, no, that's so true. And to think that we spend more time having those fake arguments than we do thinking about how to talk to our potential partners. Yes. I think also really speaks to the thing that we're kind of circling that too often women are told that we're not supposed to speak up for ourselves. We're not Mm -hmm. supposed to advocate for ourselves in these ways. Do you have clients who come to you that have never had an orgasm before? And and how do you continue to remove that stigma and shame from those experiences? And, and what words of encouragement do you have for them? So, yes, I have had clients who've come to me and they've never um, experienced an orgasm before. Some have never had penetrative sex. Mm-hmm. So I say that because some hang on to the social construct of virginity. Right. Ooh, so, reach on it. Yeah. <laughs> so they've never had penetrative sex, but after talking a little bit, it's like, okay, but you've engaged in some sexual activity. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a whole nother conversation <laughs> in yeah. and of itself of defining sex, right? And what sex to me means to different people. But um, when I'm really talking to people and they say they've never experienced an orgasm, I first ask them, why do they think that is? Right. Um, Because a lot of times it does start to be a blaming situation saying, well, that person didn't make me feel good or that person didn't do this or that person didn't do that because they had in their mind that when you have sex with a partner, your partner is supposed to automatically know what to do to please you. Right. And so we start there. And then I ask them questions about, well, have you ever um, made yourself have an orgasm? Have you ever had a session where you provided the pleasure for yourself? And a lot of times they haven't. And so that's where we start. And so I do give them, well, some people I have to kind of not saying convince a little bit because a lot of people are apprehensive about masturbation. Yeah. Even though we are. And why do you, why do you think that is? Because it's socialization, socialization. Mm-hmm. So if a person has grown up in the church, you're taught that you don't do that or just taught that um, oh, women, that's something women don't do. That's something that men do. Right. Mm-hmm. Or some believe that if you masturbate, it will desensitize you. So mm-hmm. you won't be able to enjoy sex with a partner. So there are different reasons why some people have never masturbated or don't masturbate. 
However, it is a really about a lot of myth busting about masturbation. Yeah. And so letting them know that it does not um, desensitize you. You are still able to enjoy sex with a partner. Or it's not going to put yeah. warts on your hand. That's it's the one not going to. You're not going to have heard. warts. <laughs> you're not going to get a hairy palm. Right? There are different ways to engage in masturbation. If you're not a toy person, that's fine. I could say go old school and you know use your hands mm-hmm. <laughs> or a shower head. You know, or different things like pre-historic, that. Historic, yes, historic masturbation. <laughs> yes, what our mothers and grandmothers and great grandmothers <laughs> did. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> and so I I coach them through that process, right? Mm -hmm. And even starting out, I asked, have you ever just really stood in a mirror and just looked at your body, looked at yourself naked, right? I honestly, I'm sure so many people have not had that. Yes. I mean, I, I know for myself, like I had a long period of time where I, and I just think just being a woman and again, like moving through the world and, and ingesting all of these messages about our bodies where I felt so unconfident and so insecure in mm-hmm. my body that I didn't want to look at it. You yes. know, it's like, well, if I look at it, then I'm going to have to start dissecting all the things that I don't like and all the things that I'm supposed to quote unquote fix. When in reality, I really don't think I've ever been encouraged to just appreciate my body. Yes. For what it is. I mean, not even yes. looking at specific parts of it, but like that I'm able to, you know, do all these amazing things, that I'm healthy. Like there's yes. so many things to appreciate about our bodies beyond the just like physical attributes. But that's just not something that most of us do. No, we don't. We don't even think to do it, even though we, well, hopefully we get naked every day to kind of bathe ourselves. Or, well, some people yeah. bathe every day, which is fine, but every other day or have run to the shower as fast as possible and try to like fly past the mirror. But it's good sometimes to just slow down and look at yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And just see who you are. You know, this is the being that you're living in, right? This is the mm-hmm. body that you're in. And then after that, going a step further and just taking a mirror and just looking at your parts down below, looking at your vulva, right? Mm-hmm. Looking at the parts, seeing how it looks. Because what we tend to see, like you say on porn, things are freshly shaven. They're, you know, I guess they select people with symmetrical part. I don't know how they, cho- I don't know if they choose vagina. Right. And, and if part, you're looking, but- <laughs> to your point, if you're looking at pornography or even if you're looking at mainstream films, right, which yes. even that's deceptive because sometimes people have body doubles. It's not yes. even a real actor's body. You're seeing someone whose job it is to have a quote unquote desirable body. And then, listen, when I I went through high school and I was tormented internally because one of my boobs was bigger than the other one. Which is and I said, normal. Which is totally normal. But I did not know that. And in high school, I was just like, I was so distraught. Like, I was like, mom, I want a boob job, singular boob. It won't cost that much money. Like, I had, I was so upset. And then I got to college and I like offhandedly joked about it. And every girl was like, yeah, me too. Yeah. Yes. I've never seen a woman with different sized breasts on television. And it's truly something that so many women have. It's just our bodies are naturally made that yes. way. Yes. And our nipples are in different locations. They look different. Some people have big nipples. Some people have small nipples. And just like when it comes to the vagina, well, the vulva, should I say, because the vagina's inside, but you have some who have longer lips, shorter lips, um, different colors, different, you know, hair types. They all look different, right? Mm-hmm. So there is no 
one perfect image of how a vulva, labia, all that is supposed to look. And so we do get caught up on that. And when we get caught up on how our body looks, mm-hmm. we're not in the position to receive pleasure or we're not in a position to be pleasured. So we get so caught up. So we get caught up on how it looks, how it tastes, how it smells. Um, people think they're, they're supposed to be smelling like a rainbow breeze or right. um, <laughs> it's supposed to taste like cotton candy. And what if my partner goes down there and they don't like, so we get in our head. So that's another way that we get caught up and not able to experience pleasure because we're so self-conscious. We're body conscious. So it's like, turn the lights off. I don't want nobody to see me. Mm -hmm. I want to have sex with a shirt on or under the covers. So we get really caught up in that. But then when you look at it with how men are socialized, they're not socialized that way. I'm not saying that they don't have some men don't have self-esteem issues around their body because they do. They suffer right. the same way we suffer because of how the media is. But you have some guys that will just come in with not even their underwear on. It's a big strap where the underwear <laughs> used to be, you know, and like, hey, I'm ready to go with mixed match socks just yeah. came from the gym. And they just did a, a splash off in the sink and they're ready, right? But we're like, no, we, we have to take the full, you know, rose petal bath. We have to put on the sexy lingerie. We have to shave and be bare on all of our bodies. We have to get the oil. We have to get the perfume. We have to look this certain way just so that we can have sex and experience pleasure, right? Mm. So like I said, we're in our heads a lot. So... For women that are struggling with having an enjoyable experience or getting their needs fulfilled in the bedroom with their partner, Mm -hmm. what do you suggest is a way to approach these conversations with our partner before we get into the bedroom? Because I can imagine in the moment, it's very difficult to talk about these things. How do you encourage your clients to have these conversations? So I really like to ask them their communication style because some people are more direct. So some mm-hmm. people are <laughs> will just say, hey, I'm I'm not satisfied. I like things to change. We have people who have gone that route. And right. even though I say that you have to soften that blow because yeah. everybody can't receive that type of message, especially if they think they've been doing getting everything right and you've been kind of faking that orgasm and then all of a sudden you tell them, yeah, it's been trash. Yeah, that can be. (laughs) Don't use the word trash. Yeah, yeah, do not use trash. Like, do not say that that it's trash. Let's say there's room for improvement, right? Let's Mm -hmm. improve together. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, But most of the time, because that is an awkward conversation to really breach. So I would say you could do it in a sexy way. So you can send a little sexy message to your partner and kind of give them a compliment sandwich, right? So Mm -hmm. you'll say, I I like when you touch me here, but tonight I want to try if you touch me in a different spot and I still want you to touch me in this other way. So kind of lead them and get them in the Mm -hmm. mood, right? Mm -hmm. So you're sending Mm -hmm. and dropping those little sexy messages to them or say, hey, tonight, let's try this position, 
Yeah. So instead of making it just like, here's all the ways that you do it wrong, it's kind of like, let's practice, you know? Like, like, let's practice. Like, let's try to do this. Let's try to do that instead of saying, Mm -hmm. oh, here's a, like you say, here's a list of what you're doing wrong and this is what you need to do to improve, right? Yes. Or if you're a person who needs the assistance of a toy, right? So you have couples toys that you can try. So you can introduce that to your partner, you know, with consent because, you know, you don't want to just spring something on somebody, right? Right. In the middle of a session. And then that can just stop everything. So say, hey, I found this new toy that I want to try with you, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or I, you guys can go shopping together. Yeah, you can go shopping together and pick out things that you want to try together, right? So mm-hmm. they can help you pick out some sexy lingerie and you can pick out a new vibrator or a new it deal. Like the goal of making this a collaborative experience yes. is really important. Yes, it is collaborative. You hit the nail on the head. Like, yes. Mm-hmm. And just keeping that open line of communication there, but also asking your partner, well, what feels good to you? What do you like also? So that mm-hmm. you can be sure that it's a give and take, right? Right. Situation, but making sure that you do get what you need to get, but making sure, you know, you're providing some things that are pleasurable for them also. So I found that that's been successful for quite a few people just taking that route because some people are not going to be direct. Right. Even when you get in the bedroom and you're in that moment, you know, just say, hey, let's slow it down and Mm -hmm. play play some games. Right. So like, hey, touch me here. I I brought some ice or I brought some honey. Mm -hmm. And you really slow the foreplay down instead of saying, "Okay, we're going to kiss for five minutes. I'm I'm going to give you some head for two, yeah. give me some head for two and then bang, we're ready. Like, there's not a, there's not a checklist. I mean, yes. it's just, there's no, there's no formula. It's um, no, do what feels good. Right. And I think that if you're going into, I mean, and you could, you could argue this relates to outside of the bedroom is that there's some things you just can't plan for, you know, yes. you kind of have to like go with the flow, but also to your point, it's like this conversation with your partner. I really love your suggestion of the compliment sandwich. I think of it almost like when you get the annual review at work, they always <laughs> load up the really good stuff first. <laughs> and then they like slowly start to say to you like, but you're never on time. <laughs> like, they start with the good things. And I think that that's a really good way to approach it so that your partner doesn't feel like, you know, this is an intervention of some yeah. sort. Like you want this to be a good experience for both of you. <laughs> you don't want anybody to get defensive because then you won't be able to accomplish what you set out to accomplish. I really appreciated when you were talking about Black women, when it mm-hmm. comes to pleasure. And I would imagine the importance of being able to talk to someone that looks like you is really important. In your work, have you found any things that surprised you about Black women's experience when it comes to pleasure versus clients who are maybe not people of color in terms of like stigma and shame or just like their willingness to talk about certain things? So, yes. So um, most of my clientele are black women and femmes. However, I've had some clientele who um, are not women of color. And of course, when the conversation, when we're talking about pleasure, um, when I talk to um, women who are not of color, the conversation is around, of course, self-confidence and really, of course, speaking out like how we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. However, when I'm talking to Black women, it's that different element of I really, I don't want to be called a hoe. I don't want to be called fat. 
class, right? I don't want to be looked at in a certain way, right? Yeah. Or, and the word fast is truly something that is so like unique to our community. Yes, that's something that's unique to our community, right? And really talk a lot about body counts. So how oh. they have slept with and, you know, I don't want them to, this person look at me a certain type of way or really worrying about being marriage material. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of different things. And then um, one thing that is unique is um, when I had a conversation one time that I was in a focus group and one of the women said, I want... Black men to know that Black women enjoy sex just as much as white women do. Mm. And that really, that really hit me, you know? So in our culture, we have this idea that, you know, Black women, women are supposed to be respectable, right? Right. Um, We're not supposed to display our sexuality in a certain type of way because we don't want to be looked at as loose. So that's why a lot of people have had had an issue with Cardi B and Memphis Stallion with WAP, right? Because it's like, oh, you don't want to shame the race. Yeah. So it's so yeah. interesting. I think so many people, you know, to your point, this idea of being fast yes. is so heartbreaking because you often see it applied to young girls. girls. It's yes. Not something that is uh, an adult woman is not fast. A child is fast. fast. Yes. And you're like, well, if we're talking about children, a child, like, yes. there's some problems here. Like if a, if a young woman is or a child is acting out or is being pursued, they yes. are not the person that is at fault. <laughs> oh, yes. There's, and there's so yeah, it's, like, it's, yeah, it's, deeper, it's deeper issues. And so we have, so when I talk to other Black women, it's a lot of unpacking, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's really trying to get them to understand or even accept that we are sexual beings from the womb to the tomb. We're sexual. Mm -hmm. Like this is how we came into this world. Right. Right. And so it's okay to like sex. It's okay to enjoy sex. Right. And it's okay to enjoy sex with people of different genders. You don't have Mm -hmm. to subscribe to a heterosexual norm. It's okay to express yourself in different ways. And and even when it comes to kinks and fetishes, you have people who are so shamed right. around that. Like when it comes to BDSM or when it comes to other um, kinks or fetishes that people may have. Like I remember coming up, people were like, oh, we don't do that because that's white people stuff. Oh my goodness. And so and labeling that, that yeah. yeah, labeling something as, you know, something that black people don't do. do. Yes. <laughs> and so that's problematic as well. So when we were carrying all of this, we're really sexually repressed. So we're not able to really enjoy ourselves fully Mm -hmm. as sexual beings because we're carrying that around. So that is something that is really unique, I will Mm -hmm. say, when talking um, to Black women, just really trying to unpack all of that stuff. And even what I do now is still something that I face having to explain to different people what I do. I'm curious, you know, once your clients are in a place after they've worked with you and they're feeling more empowered to take ownership of their pleasure, uh, how does that end up radiating through the rest of their lives? So they'll ch- I check back in with them every now and then um, if they want me to. And they'll give me updates about um, how things are going, which I really um, like. And even outside of when they talk to me about orgasms and pleasure, it appears that it really helps them in other areas of their life or just in their relationships more broadly. 
Mm-hmm. So learning how to speak up and advocate for yourself in a relationship. And if they find that they're in a relationship where they're not being respected or mm-hmm. they're not their wishes or their desires, or it's just something that they no longer wish to partake in. They have that wherewithal to say, hey, this is not working for me. I can move on. I love And that. I can um, find another relationship that's more suitable for who I am at this stage in my life. Right. And so because, you know, because sometimes we outgrow relationships, our relationships Mm -hmm. don't always grow with us. Yes. And so it's okay to transition. It's okay to pivot if need be, especially if you tried what you can and it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It's okay to move on. Yeah, so I think that's what. (laughs) Thank you for saying you are preaching. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think just even from my own personal experience, there is a lot of shame around relationships ending, and I think um, so much, so much uh, has been placed on a relationship being a measure of your own success. That if you're single, what's wrong with you? You don't have any kids. What's the problem? You know, you guys have been together for X amount of years and you're not married. What's going on? You're dating multiple people. You are not straight. You are whatever it is. There's so many variables that are placed on us. And, you know, all good things come to an end. A movie's going to come to an end. This podcast is going to come to an end. Like a good TV show is finally going to wrap it up. You know, it's going to happen. Yes. We don't think about relationships in that way. And, you know, and then what some people also don't understand is even with yourself, certain, Mm. you know, certain periods that you go through, they come to an end also, right? Because we're constantly growing and changing and we have to say goodbye to sometimes how we used to be or who we were and even give ourselves time to mourn that loss so that we can Mm -hmm. move on to our next phase, Right. Yes. That's so, so true. And it's constantly redefining our relationships with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And you can end that relationship, whether it be a job or where you (laughs) live or a friendship or, you know, a hobby that you had. And it doesn't have to be a bad ending. It can just be the end of it. And you can look back on it fondly and say, well, I won't be doing that again. But that was great. That was that was a moment in my life. And I'm not at that moment anymore. Yes. (laughs) Oh my goodness. This was truly such a great conversation. Thank you so much for just providing this space to have it and for being so forthcoming and just, um, yeah, and thoughtful and, 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 uh, what's the word that I'm looking for and just encouraging. Um, cause I feel like that's something we definitely need as women, as femmes, as black women. Um, and I really appreciate you for that. No problem. Thank you for having me. Subscribe to Full Disclosure by Pop Sugar wherever you get your podcasts.